Open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, and we are going to chapter 5. When we last uh, left Peter and the apostles, Peter was a superstar. I mean, they were dragging out people to the streets. He was healing people with his shadow. I mean, unbelievable, incredible, impossible things were happening. And guess who was watching? The rulers. The very rulers who put Jesus to death couldn't believe how popular these apostles were getting and all the power and the healings, and they couldn't, they couldn't believe it, and they were insanely jealous. So today we'll see what happens when they bring all of the apostles in front of the Sanhedrin, the court, and look, all of the founders of the Christian faith could have died in one day, depending on the outcome of this trial. It's going to be pretty tense. The title of this sermon is Courtroom Drama, and boy do we love a good courtroom drama series or a courtroom drama movie. Right now on Netflix, one of the top streaming movies is called The Chicago 7, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Has anybody seen that yet? The Trial of the Chicago 7. It's a politically charged trial movie based on the seven defendants charged by the federal government with causing conspiracy and attempting to undermine the government. It goes back to August of 1968 when the Democratic National Convention was in Chicago and they were ready to nominate Hubert Humphrey for president. So anyway, they all came to town. On the last night of the convention, they tried to persuade uh, the Democrats to, to try and stop the war. On the last night of the convention, they moved through the streets where they were tear-gassed and beaten by the police and the National Guard. Who, insti who instigated this riot is what the trial is all about. The government said it was them. They said it was Mayor Richard Daley's police. Now, this whole like trial of the Chicago 7... It's like this tense, nationwide-watched courtroom drama. That's what's going on today. In fact, the sermon could have been called the Jerusalem 12, okay? So, like, these people are dragged again in front of the court. And I love in the preview of this Netflix movie, there's this, there's this crowd marching on the streets of Chicago chanting, The whole world is watching! The whole world is watching! And listen, the whole world was watching this trial. We're going to learn today what it means to be bold witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know that Jesus wants you to become a brave, bold, courageous witness for your faith, no matter who is standing in front of you. The whole world is watching how Christians witness to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Jesus, we pray that you would make us better witnesses of you we get afraid, we get timid, or maybe we make fools of ourselves by saying extreme things that shut down the conversation. Help us to see in the Apostles' example today why it is that we face trouble in this life for our faith, how you use it, and we pray that you would show us what it means to find our voice as witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach us what Christians believe, show us clearly what that means, and Lord, this whole series is called Let's Go Change the World. We ask that you would make us one loud chorus of voices sharing this good, powerful news, this message of life, so that lives would be changed forever. The early disciples were charged with turning the world upside down. And I pray that that's what our heart would be. And we pray this by your power and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, Acts 5, 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. 
and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. All right, our first two points are going to come from this portion. Uh, Number one, write this down. Firmly believe the truth about Jesus. Firmly believe the truth about Jesus. Now, I want you to ask me why. Go ahead, just ask me. No, I mean, really say it. Really say it. The Bible gives us motives and methods. Today, this first point is why we should firmly believe the truth about Jesus. Luke's entire purpose in writing the entire book of Acts is to strengthen your faith in Jesus. For you to believe it more firmly, that's his goal. He's a Gentile and an evangelist, declaring the global impact of the gospel for all to hear. Luke is a historian, theologian, doctor, missionary, very eloquent writer. And uh, between AD 62 and 64, he likely captured everything that he had thoroughly investigated from the start. So this courtroom drama for us, was written down by this, by this man. Luke is a precise and credible author who investigated everything. He was not Jewish. He was not an insider. He was convinced from the outside to leave his entire culture and religion growing up, and he believed all of this. That should increase your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also know it's not just that Luke was awesome. God was using him to write this book. Luke also wrote the book of Luke. So based on all of that, we know his purpose, we know what Luke was after. His goal is for you to firmly believe the truth about Jesus. That's what should spring from this account. Jot this down. God miraculously affirmed the original messengers. God miraculously affirmed the original messengers. That's why you should believe that this is the truth from God. Because how God affirmed the messengers shows they were speaking to you for him. So the High priest and the Sadducees and the council arrested the apostles and put them in jail, made them stay there for the night. 
But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. How awesome is this? Just put yourself in the shoes of the apostles. It's, I mean, it's the public jail. And we're not talking like, you know, when I was a kid, they took me to the Palace Hills Jail. And they told us about it. They said, you know, in the morning, we don't have a kitchen. So we just go and get the prisoners McDonald's. And I was like, sign me up. Free McDonald's? What's the lowest crime I could commit to get me an Egg McMuffin in the morning? <laughs> All right, no Egg McMuffins in the morning. This is, like, this is like jail, jail. They're thrown in there, and they're going to be on trial for their lives in the morning. Can you imagine how they must have felt? Now, I know what you're thinking. You know how this story plays out, right? Uh, but do you remember how cowardly and foolish and selfish and envious these guys were just a few months ago? I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. And then Jesus is suddenly on trial and they're like, run away. Shouldn't this be another instance where they're all fighting and bickering and complaining and then they get up there and they're trembling and they're like, I don't even know him. We've never even heard the name Jesus before. Who are you talking about? Shouldn't that be how this plays out? Yes, but that's not the way it plays out. The angel shows up. That's pretty sweet. Angels are real. The spiritual realm is real. Uh, Big problem for the Sadducees, okay? They don't believe in the spiritual realm. They don't believe angels exist. Okay, they're going to have a big problem on their hands. So angel shows up, opens the doors, brings the apostles out, and get this, verse 20, go and stand in the temple and, what does it say there? Speak to the people all the words of this life. So let me get this straight. A messenger from heaven comes down, opens the prison door, and doesn't say, flee to Tarsus, you know, or run for your lives or whatever, uh, go back into the temple and talk. Does that confirm to you, if you're a Christian, that God wants you to tell other people about Jesus? I mean, I know an angel doesn't come into your room in the morning and say, okay, get dressed uh, and tell you where to go, right? That doesn't happen. But the fact that it happened once, doesn't it show you that heaven is saying this? Heaven is saying, go and tell people this message of life. And if you're not a Christian, don't you feel like there might be something special about this truth if angels from heaven are saying this is the message of life? God miraculously affirmed the original messengers. An angel from heaven came down, freed the apostles, and said, go and speak. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Jot this down. God powerfully thwarted those who opposed the truth. God powerfully thwarted those who opposed the truth. How did God treat his messengers and how did God treat those who opposed them? That's what we're observing here. So in verse 21, when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Now I love this story. It's so humiliating. Uh, so they convened the Sanhedrin, the 70 rulers of the, everybody come in and they're all, they're all dressed nicely and they take their seats and there's the, you know, it's like the Supreme Court, okay? Everyone's in their places and all right, everyone here, all right, bring them to me. They seem so powerful and confident. They don't even know these guys have all been broken out of jail by an angel and, and, and these fools are getting ready to try them as if they're really in command of the situation. Understand how ignorant they are to what God is actually doing and willing. It just gets better. 
It says in verse 22, But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, and this is great. I heard a pastor once preach on this, and he did a really good job. I'm going to kind of act out what he did. He's like, I wish we could do this as a church drama one day, and you can just act it out, because the police come back, and they're like, we found the prison, all right? Uh, we found the lock, mm-hmm. and uh, we opened it up, yep, but there was no one inside. What? There was no one inside? Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed. So pretend you're the Sanhedrin and just get greatly perplexed. Go ahead. Not greatly perplexed. Isn't this comical? And someone, and this is where the pastor who preached this before said, this is the part I want. Someone came in and said, look! The men you put in jail are teaching the people in the temple. Now everyone look. Everyone look and gasp. Wouldn't that be an awesome church drama? We need a theater department. This is so humiliating. They have no power. Then the captain of the officers, big, tough, went and brought them. So now he's got to go out there. and There's a crowd, big crowd, afraid of the crowds. Afraid of Rome, afraid of the crowds, not afraid of God, um, brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Now, this is funny, too. Okay, listen, uh, we're, we're going to go up, and we're just going to ask nicely, okay? What do you mean? Well, they have rocks. Okay, one, listen, one of them could hit us in the head, all right? So they're walking. God could throw a moon on you, okay? All right, just keep it cool. Just keep it cool. All right, so, uh, hey, guys, don't know how you got out. Um, you're, you're being arrested again. Uh, you're being, you're being re-arrested. Um, we're not going to use the cuffs, so uh, please. <laughs> do you see the folly? Do you, do you see the lack of power? Do you see the misdirected fear of the opponents of God? God powerfully thwarted those who opposed the truth. And it says in verse 27, when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned, and this guy's just, I mean, like, really, you can't take him seriously anymore. He's like, all right, is everyone here now? Let's start again. And now he's going to act all tough, but everyone is like, what just happened? You know, he's thoroughly humiliated and they've got a big problem on their hands, but he's going to keep going with it. And uh, he questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. It seems like they're avoiding even saying the name of Jesus. It's happened before, too, and they brought him in. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So God has powerfully thwarted those who opposed the truth. Um, We see here that many will live as enemies of God. They will stubbornly oppose spiritual truths, even when they're faced with tremendous evidence that what they are against is true, or at least could be true. Uh, Who are the people in your life who just won't believe? They won't even give it any thought, and they are actively, uh, in a variety of ways, letting you know that your faith is a problem for them. Maybe they mock you, maybe they just dismiss you, maybe they make cutting, biting remarks about you. Maybe you're not close with them, but they're always putting stuff on Facebook about how this whole God thing is, is wrong, and they're antagonistic. They're not just like, well, everybody has their own beliefs. They are antagonistic 
against anyone who's trying to get a message out. Welcome to the new world. We're post-Christian. I hope you know that. We're post-Christian. So when you go out and try and tell someone about Jesus, you're not just irritating anymore. You're dangerous. You're extreme. You're radical because you're trying to change someone's mind and impose your views on them. You are dangerous, okay? So there's going to be a lot of pushback if you decide you're going to actually tell people the truth about Christ. So many will live as enemies of the cross of Christ And you have to realize where that's coming from. They are uh, going against what God is prompting you to do. So you have to firmly believe the truth about Jesus if you are going to be a good witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Jot this down. God transformed the apostles into bold witnesses. God transformed the apostles into bold witnesses. I mentioned this before, but the apostles right now should be whining and crying and moaning and bickering and running away and denying anything. That's the apostles of just a few months ago. What changed? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ transformed them by his spirit. And when you understand just how humiliating they were before Jesus died and now how heroic they seem, the power of heaven surging through them, hundreds of people healed every day on the streets of Jerusalem. Now you don't have to say to yourself, well, maybe if I was more of an extrovert, maybe if I just had some training, maybe, no, no, if the Spirit's in you, God can use your voice. That's all it takes. Okay, they didn't have time to go to Bible college, all right? They just had the Spirit in them, and that's all it took for them to be good witnesses. So God transformed the apostles into bold witnesses. Who's who here? Well, there's the high priest, there's the chief priest, the Sanhedrin. This would be like you being dragged in front of the Supreme Court on a capital crime trial, you being accused of causing sedition. They're going to put you to death. Imagine how afraid you should be. They had no fear. They were completely captured by the Spirit of God, and they became witnesses of the Lord. Now, God transformed the apostles into bold witnesses, Because they were bold witnesses, they revealed the hearts of the opponents of God. The people in front of them were jealous. Now, I don't know what it is that's riling up the people in your life who are upset with you, but jealousy is a big part of it. They see your life. They see that you're different, that you're so perfect. You have something that they don't. And um, jealous, so the anatomy of jealousy is it kind of takes three. So they see you're treated better than them. And that could be a key. This is not a minor league sin. They see that you're receiving different treatment because you're a good, godly person, and the jealousy fills them, and that's why they don't like you, okay? That could be what's generating their opposition to you. So God powerfully thwarted those who opposed the truth, transformed the apostles into bold witnesses. The apostles were actually struggling with envy and jealousy a while ago. That ruined their witness. Now they're lockstep. That's really cool. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were different. They were a divided house. The Sadducees had the majority. They were um, very much liberal in their view of the Bible. They didn't believe most of the Old Testament. Surely there's no such thing as angels. There's no such thing as the next life. Well, we we'll believe in Moses. But it's all about power and money. Very political. Uh, afraid of Rome. Remember the temple where this trial happened was not just the power base for Israel, but it was the national bank. All the money flowed into the temple. They were protecting their power and protecting their money. Here's a picture of the temple. This is where the trial happened. This is a recreation of it, but this is where the trial would happen. They would be teaching off on the side under those colonnades, and nearby the Sanhedrin would gather, and there'd be huge crowds of people that could be impacted for the gospel. 
The Pharisees were more traditional. They ran the synagogues out in the local villages. They were more conservative, but if they were on the council, all of them had a common interest in uh, protecting their power so the crowds and the Roman government didn't crack down on them. Okay, now you got the backdrop. All that to be said, number one, firmly believe the truth about Jesus. Now the apostles go on, especially through Peter in verse 29, to share the clear gospel. So the first point was, why should I believe it? The next point is, what do I believe? What, what is it that we believe? So jot this down. Number two, clearly understand the gospel message. Clearly understand the gospel message. You could get all animated and excited and ready to go talk, but then you could say wrong things. You know, there's a lot of people out there willing to say nonsense, even in the Christian tribe. So we have to clearly understand exactly what we believe. It says in verse 29, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So this is a God thing. This is not them. They didn't get in a, you know, a tavern. Well, what's come up with, you know, f- you know, the four pillars of some new thing? This is a God thing that came down from heaven. And this is the belief that has been given to us that we are to exactly understand. Remember, the Christian message is what Luke wants us to know and believe. Luke, in his book, Luke, verse 1, chapter 1, said, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, listen, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So firmly believe what? Uh, Luke has many themes that run through his books, but one of the themes is the gospel. Jot this down. God raised Jesus from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. This is a crisis moment for you. Maybe you don't know what you believe. Maybe you've been taught many things in your life. Maybe you got dragged here to church because of somebody. Maybe you're watching online and you're not even sure what you believe about this Christian faith. It starts when you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, that he was put in a grave, and on the third day, he rose again. Here's a picture of the cross. What was he doing up there? He was dying as a substitute for you. Do we have a picture of the cross? He was dying as a substitute for you. He was taking all of your sins on him. He was the Lamb of God. You will either pay the full price for all of your sins in hell, or all of your sins will go onto him at the cross, and therefore your penalty will be paid in full. You can't white out even one sin on your record of debt, but God took it away, nailing it to the cross. Maybe you never knew that you needed Jesus to pay for your sins, but that's what he was doing on the cross. Then after the payment was made on the third day, he rose from the grave. Here's a picture of the tomb. He rose from the grave, and God lifted him up out of the tomb. And by the way, these same people who are trying the apostles killed Jesus, right? And yet God overruled their verdict and raised Jesus from the grave. There was an earthquake. Uh, It was amazing. Jesus conquered the grave. 
So you have a decision to make. Do you believe that Jesus has been risen from the grave? Do you notice something missing from the rulers right now? The apostles are on trial. Couldn't the rulers just say, you're wrong. Jesus is clearly dead. Some, get us all nose plugs and someone go get the body and bring it right here and let's put a stop to this lie right now. Couldn't they have done that? Don't you, don't you think they would have? They don't even deny it. If you're like, well, I have a hard time believing that this Jesus rose from the grave. Even the enemies of God believed it back then. They couldn't say anything to deny it. In fact, in Acts 4.16, we'll put that up on the screen. Listen to what they say. What shall we do with these men? This is what the rulers said. For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Big problem for the rulers is they can't deny that Jesus rose from the grave. They even posted Roman soldiers at the tomb. Wow, I hope you're convinced that Jesus was raised from the grave. Jot this down. God exalted Jesus in heaven as prince. God exalted Jesus in heaven as prince. So they say here, God exalted him. So this is the ascension. In, in you know, Acts chapter 1, Luke recorded how Jesus ascended bodily after he rose from the grave to the right hand of the Most High where he rules heaven right now. Jesus rules heaven right now. That's where he is. It says here in verse 31, he's leader and savior. That word leader can be translated like three different ways in the New Testament. Um, it could be translated author of life in Acts 3.15, founder of our faith in Hebrews. Uh, here it could be leader or prince, right? All of them tie into Jesus. He's the prince of peace, the author of life, the founder of our faith. It, it kind of means the supreme originator, supreme originator. So God exalted Jesus in heaven as the supreme originator, prince, author, founder of our faith. There are many names of Jesus that alert us to his identity, and they teach us what we have to believe about him. Here was one of the most famous posters. This was all over. Maybe, maybe you saw this. How many of you have seen this poster before? Either in your home or in a church you attended. The name, he shall be called. Advocate, Lamb of God, the resurrection, the life. Shepherd and overseer of our souls, judge, Lord of lords, man of sorrows, head of the church. You could go on and on and on. The way, the truth, the life. All these names of Jesus reveal who he is and what we have to believe about him. So do you believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, exalted in heaven as prince? And jot this down, Jesus alone can save us through repentance. Jesus alone can save us through repentance. It says, leader and savior, savior, you need a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We don't just need a teacher. We don't just need an influencer. We don't just need a coach. We don't just need a helper. We need a savior, a rescue. Last night I was driving home from picking up my dog Spencer. He was on a field trip to, his, to the grandparents' house. And I went to pick Spencer up. He was super excited. On the way home, uh, the intersection by our house was all blocked off. And as I drove by, there was this nasty car crash. I think everybody's okay but there was this nasty car crash where two vehicles had collided and a van was turned on its side and glass was everywhere. And it just happened. So people were all out like helping people out of their cars. And I, I don't know if the person like got out through the moonroof or whatever, but it was really messed up. Uh, and um, that, so that is what it means to need a rescue. Okay, you're trapped in a, a vehicle. Someone has to come and pull you out. 
Jesus has to save you from your sins. You can't do it alone. And too often, people get offended. You know, they don't think they need a Savior. It's like someone comes up to you and says, hey, uh, your car is stuck on the train tracks. There's a train coming. Uh, I can help you get out. And then you lock the door and say, I'll, I'll be just fine. You won't be. Jesus needs to pull you out. So there is peril in rejecting this message. You're not just finding another path, you're rejecting the Savior. Repentance means turning around from the way that you are going. I'm going the wrong way, and I have to turn toward the living God to be saved. You have to admit that you're doing it wrong, and you need a Savior. And jot this down, God gives the Holy Spirit to all who believe. God gives the Holy Spirit to all who believe. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. Now it's Trinitarian. You've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The triune God, this is heaven's message of salvation. All right, Jesus is the only way uh, to be saved. And the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the Word of God, the apostles of God are all in, in unison here saying this is the way. And the contrast here is the leaders were enraged because they were accused of not having God or God's Spirit. So they wanted to kill them. Because they had the Holy Spirit, they were authorized to write books of the Bible. This is one more way, reason you should believe firmly in the message of the gospel. The very Holy Spirit of God was Pentecost happened, was residing in these men, and it was as if God himself was telling this court, you're wrong, you're wrong. Now, you have that same indwelling presence if you're a Christian, and, and it says later in the Bible that we are ambassadors for Christ, as if God was making his appeal through us. So you might be like, this person needs to know about Jesus. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? Hey, Christ in you is going to use you. Yeah, think about what you're going to say, but don't overthink it because God's got this. You just need to be a faithful witness. So clearly understand the gospel message. God raised Jesus from the dead, exalted Jesus in heaven as prince. Jesus alone can save through repentance. God gives the Holy Spirit to all who believe. All right, well, let's figure out how this ends. Number three, boldly bear witness to the good news. They just did that. Boldly bear witness to the good news. Uh, let's see how it plays out. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Okay, make your angry noise. Go ahead. Ooh, they sound mad. <laughs> but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, this is Paul's teacher, by the way. Paul was probably around teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. Number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. All who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean. So they're remembering these insurgents. Remember Thutis? Oh, yeah, what a troublemaker. Well, he was killed, and then nothing came of it. Now Judas the Galilean, who remembers him? Oh, yeah, remember him. Rose up in the days of the census, really bad time for an uprising, and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. 
So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if, if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. When they had them had called in the apostles, they beat them, probably whipped with the like three strand uh, leather whips that they, probably not a severe flogging here because um, that would be pretty life-threatening, but a pretty severe beating, right? They're going to have marks from this. And charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. <laughs> this is for the last time. Stop talking about this name. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. This is just really cool. Give them a beating, you know, and they're all messed up, and then they're walking out. That'll teach them, and they're walking out like, that was awesome. We finally got to get punished for our faith. We really blew it on the night Jesus really needed us, but we finally did it right. They're all super excited. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That's awesome. They didn't stop. They didn't stop. They didn't stop. Didn't matter that their backs were bloody. They didn't stop. Boldly bear witness to the good news. So now how can I share my faith? We asked, why should I believe it? What do we believe? How can I share my faith? The contrast in this narrative is you should share your faith because you know that it's right and you know that those who are opposing God are wrong and therefore they need this message of life. Gamaliel gives us one last contrasting character here. He recognizes the guy who is not extreme. I mean, let's not get carried away here. Somewhat undecided. Let's give it time. I mean, maybe, possibly, could be a God thing. Hmm? And I don't know if angels can roll their eyes, but if the angel who let the apostles out of jail that night before could, he was rolling his eyes. Maybe, maybe, can I go slap him? What do you mean maybe? What do you mean maybe? There are people in your life who should know better. You just got to give it time. But boldly bear witness to the good news. Jot this down. Expect opposition to your faith. It'll come in many forms. It'll come in many forms. They were jealous at first. They were embarrassed after that, and you will embarrass some people, okay? The way you're living will embarrass them. They're jealous, they're embarrassed, and then they get angry. Then they get angry. This is where it's coming from, and this is God stirring up the waters in their heart. You're threatening their lifestyle. Who is it that's pulling you from the faith right now? Is it a teacher? Is it a friend? Is it a person you're reading? Who is pulling you Who's pushing you to deny Jesus, to downplay him, to reject him? Who's expecting you to talk about him less? Who's seducing you by things that sound spiritual but are not scripture to think differently about your faith? Who, who are you most threatened by right now to disregard the faith of Christ? You need to identify that. And then that's where you have to stand firm and that's called opposition to your faith. That's, and it might be, don't ever say that again in this workplace. Or it might be, well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's another way. Maybe you thought about that. I don't know what form it's going to take. It might be like, well, if you love me, you would. 
I don't know what form it's going to take, but it's called opposition to your faith. Luke makes it clear in Luke chapter 23 that some of these rulers actually already believed, but they were afraid to become witnesses. Some of the people in the council were Christians, and they're like, oh, I should say something, I should say something, I should say something. These apostles were putting these powerful men who were cowardly to shame. Joseph of Arimathea could have been there. Nicodemus could have been there. In chapter 6, a great number of priests are about to go public. They, it's almost like they just want to spill out right there. They can't believe what's going on. Your faithful testimony will embolden other people to go public. And you might not even know it. So expect opposition to your faith. Jot this down. Know when and how to stand your ground. Know when and how to stand your ground. Don't be foolish. Don't die on a hill of personal opinion. If, if it's a, like a formal process you're in with your job or the law or whatever, follow formal channels of appeal. Okay, if times pa will be like, is it lawful to beat a Roman citizen? So appealing to your rights, appealing to policy, that could be one way that you're being measured in your testimony. But listen, at the end of the day, no matter the cost, no matter the cost, even if the cost is your very life, never back down. Never back down. Never give up your faith. Resolve in your heart right now, you will never, never disgrace or deny the name of Jesus Christ. Never. Not in private, not in public, no matter the pressure, no matter what pain is waiting for you on the other side of this meeting, you will never, never, Never deny your faith in Jesus Christ. Ever. If you wait until the moment, well, I don't know what I'm going to say. You are toast. Now's the time to have that resolve. I will never deny him. Ever. And then jot this down. Speak the truth in love without fear. Speak the truth in love without fear. They were, can you imagine what the, can you imagine what Peter wanted to say? Can you imagine what Peter wanted to say? Okay, no filter, no filter. Uh, you morons, I saw an angel last night and you and you and you are gonna burn for, can you imagine what he wanted to say? Oh my goodness. Speak the truth in love without fear. Ultimately, it was God's work that got them released. God delivered them from death, and they were filled with joy because they honored Christ. Wow, that's awesome. Hey, Jesus wants you to share your faith with courage and confidence no matter the cost. You don't have to get yourself ready. He'll do that. You just have to surrender and have the resolve and commit to the clear message. And listen, the whole world is watching how Christians stand firmly for the faith in Jesus Christ right now. Will we get blown over by opposition or will we stand firm? The series is called Let's Go Change the World, all right? And we're serious about it. This starts when with firmness, with resolve, we are willing to go and tell people this message of life. Hey, let's commit to that today, to be brave and to be bold as a congregation. Let's pray. Jesus, we have consecrated ourselves to you in many ways this year. We're setting goals. We are striving to press on to take hold of the faith. Uh, Lord, and one of the things that I just would love for our people to commit to is make us witnesses. Make us witnesses. Very unlikely we will end up in front of any 
council of law. Very unlikely that we will be pulled in front of the Supreme Court. Or the, uh, but it doesn't matter who's on the other side of the table. Give us the opportunity to share our faith this week. Lord, prepare us. Help us to know the truth, to hold firmly to it so that we share what is right and we are not found to be false witnesses of faith. Help us to boldly share our faith, to stand our ground. We live in an age, O oh Lord, that needs bold, clear witnesses to share the faith with courage. And Lord, I believe that you are the only hope for our wicked, shameless, violent, lustful, envious, proud, greedy, selfish generation. This is the message of life. We are not perfect. We are sinners saved by grace. And just as the apostles filled the Bible with stories of cowardice, folly, envy, bickering, childishness, Lord, we don't want people to look at us. We want them to see how you have transformed us. So give us courage. Help us to find our voice as a church and as individuals. And we pray that people would be saved forever by your Holy Spirit as we courageously share our testimony. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.